Welcome back to the VBPH Sermon Podcast. All this week, we'll be featuring messages from our fellowship's recent South African Bible Conference, led by Pastor Jonathan Heimberg. We pray these messages will bless your life, and we'll return to our normal schedule next week. God bless and enjoy. Amen. I do want to thank um, Pastor Heimberg for entrusting me with, with this moment. I don't take it lightly. Um, this is an awesome congregation of believers. And uh, please do pray for me as I'm ministering. I need God to help me tonight. I'm believing God for just a miracle that's going to happen in people's hearts tonight, that lives would be changed, that you would never be the same, that this conference would be a reference point for you as you go back this evening. So I want to preach from the book of First Kings, chapter 18. Very familiar story tonight. And I want to preach a sermon that I've entitled, Fire at the Altar. So when Russia invaded Ukraine, this was on the 24th of February, the Ukrainian President Zelensky turned down an offer from the U.S. to evacuate the capital city in Kiev. So he made a statement. He said, the fight is here. And then he made a more profound statement. He said, I need ammunition. I don't need a ride out. He further added to this, he said, I am here. We are not putting down arms. We will be defending our country because our weapon is truth. And our truth is that this is our land, our country, our children. And we will defend all all of this, almost biblical. You see, he understood, I don't know his, his background, But he understood something about taking dominion. This is a major aspect of the church, the kingdom of God, and then also for you and me as individuals. Because you and I, as Zelensky understood, you cannot rule or govern a country or uh, a kingdom if you are not In that specific place. You cannot govern by giving up territory. You have to hold territory or you have to take land this uh, evening. That's how you take dominion. You see, we must understand the territorial nature of the evil realm. There is a strategy to take and to hold land By the evil realm. They rule through taking the human soul captive in a specific location. God is everywhere. Omnipresent. But God is not glorified everywhere. And that's what the enemy is aiming at. So I want to preach to you about taking dominion in the midst of wickedness this evening. Think about our text. The story is about Elijah the prophet. At this moment, the prophet is totally outnumbered or in his mind, he thinks that he's the only righteous man in his nation. He feels outnumbered. And uh, there's the prophets of Baal. There's the prophets of Ezra, 450 
plus 400 to 1. That's the odds that is against him. At this moment, he is totally overwhelmed by the demonic. He has to deal with his own fears. He has to deal with his own insecurity. And so in the moment, he faces one of the most difficult scenarios or situations in ministry. This is why I want to look at this. We want to look at what did God do? What was his response for a man that was in one of the worst moments in his ministry? So what is one of these worst moments? There's so many scenarios and revelation that we can get from this. But I want to focus on one aspect that you and me, maybe as a pastor, maybe as a minister, maybe as a leader, you might uh, grapple with this uh, problem that you sometimes face in life Uh, what is that problem the problem is when the hearts of God's people have been affected when the hearts of God's people have been infiltrated by the enemy in some way when they've opened doors of influence to the enemy And the worst scenario is when a whole nation that is supposed to be worshiping and serving the living God are in rebellion and they are disconnected from Yahweh. This is the ministry situation that he's facing. How do you turn hearts of people towards God? So let's think about our text. I'm going to read selectively so that we just get some of the main uh, points uh, in the story. We know the story. So follow from verse 21 uh, this evening. It says, And Elijah came uh, to all the people and said, How long uh, will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Verse 24. Let's go down. Then you call, this is now uh, this, this, the standoff. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call uh, on the name uh, of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Now they respond. Let's go to verse 30. It says, then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And then verse 37. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God. And that you have turned their hearts back to you again. A people in rebellion going And something happened in the moment that turned their hearts back to God. It's called the supernatural power of God this evening. That's what we need. God's intervention tonight. So think about firstly people in bondage tonight. How do you know that a nation or an individual is being held captive by the demonic? There are certain indicators that you look at. Two main indicators this evening is when they stop judging evil. Think about our nation. 
When a nation starts calling good bad and bad good, when they stop judging evil, it tells you that the nation has been taken captive by demonic influence. Then the decision, if you don't judge evil, you start deciding that I am going to coexist with evil. I'm going to compromise and meet evil halfway. Eventually, the mindset of the nation will change and they will start saying that evil is acceptable. You see, this is what we see. It's when the demonic tonight is allowed to flourish. When the demonic can now freely influence the minds and eventually infiltrate the hearts of individuals in that way, infiltrate the nation. Verse 21, the Bible tells us uh, the condition of uh, the people within this nation. This is what uh, Elijah is struggling with. He comes to the people and he says, uh, why are you faltering between two opinions? Uh, Why is it difficult when we pose the question, Baal or Yahweh? Why can't you even answer? Why is there no response? Uh, They were indecisive. Uh, They were convinced. And this is what evil does. Evil presents itself in a form where it can convince people to a point where they cannot judge and discern anymore. They are indecisive. They are double-minded. And that's Elijah's dilemma at the moment. The second thing that is an indicator is their worship. Think about why worship is so important. I'm not speaking about praise and worship songs in the service. Look at the worship of the nation. Who or what they bow the knee to. What are they submissive to? And you have to understand how profound worship is. Because whomever is being worshipped, that deity, whoever that might be, rules. Worship and rulership goes together. The enemy knows that. And so all he wants is for you to bow your knee. Who are we worshiping to? Now let me say this. It's so easy tonight uh, to give the right answers in a conference setting. But I want you to understand it's when uh, there's a famine. It's when uh, you can't hear from God or you seemingly struggle, you know, to hear from God. It's in those moments uh, when you maybe do not uh, see the expected results uh, of fruitfulness. uh, When you go through barren seasons, when you have to ask someone, who are you worshiping? And again, uh, why aren't you judging evil anymore? You see, the circumstances that Elijah finds himself in is the situation where the nation is asking, where is God? So think about spiritual dominion. It is obvious in the text that spiritual dominion had been lost. Simply stated, to understand spiritual dominion, uh, our brother, our pastor spoke about this so powerfully this morning. Spiritual dominion is about rulership or lordship. Let's take it a little further. The question to ask is who is Lord in a specific location? Like I said, our taverns, Jesus is not Lord there. 
Our places of sin and evil, Jesus is not Lord there. You understand? So the point is, it points to a location. It points to a place. Who's been worshipped? Who's been lauded? Uh, who rules in a specific place? And that's what spiritual dominion is about. Uh, and that's the battle that Elijah is facing. So in our text, Mount Carmel was very strategic. Because it had an impact on the whole nation. It was a place of influence. If you think about the location of Mount Carmel. From most of the towns, strategic biblical places. Most people could view or, or see Mount Carmel. And whoever was being worshipped on Mount Carmel had an influence over the nation. That's why strategically Mount Carmel had to be taken. That specific place was crucial and at that moment Baal and the images of Azra was being worshipped a false deity was being worshipped in the land of God in the chosen land where God declared that in this place my people shall be fruitful and in this place my people shall experience my divine provision, my divine protection where they shall receive the favor of God. But at that point in time, Baal ruled. So we can spiritualize the physical and we can filter it down to your heart this evening. You see, like I said, it's in a conference setting. We can, we can say Yahweh is Lord. Jesus is Lord of my heart. So the question this evening, the battle for Carmel is also the battle for the hearts of man. The rulership, the lordship, that battle. So think about this, an altar, especially an altar that was supposed to be for Yahweh was now broken down. And the nation allowed this altar to be broken. Understand altars are access points in the physical. We know about altars. We understand what happens at altars. So I don't have to elaborate on that. Uh, you see, but now the altar of Yahweh was broken. And Yahweh have now taken away. So now there's judgment on this nation. His divine protection, favor was lost. That's what happens when you lose dominion. Let me say this. We know when we lose dominion. We sense when the Lord Jesus is not on the throne of our hearts anymore. If we would be honest with ourselves uh, this evening. Just so for us. I don't know if you are going through a famine. I don't know if you are going through that frustrating season of your life uh, where nothing fruitful seems uh, to be happening in your life. Uh, but this season is real in ministry. It happens uh, when we lose uh, the very dominion or when we lose uh, the very lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. And we're going to focus on that. You see, spiritual dominion is not just a once-off thing. Spiritual dominion has to be maintained. And the arena for spiritual dominion is spiritual warfare. It's not just going to be given to you. Because the enemy understands the power and the influence and the impact of a believer that has spiritual dominion. That's why it's not going to be easily given. It has to be maintained in the arena of, of, of warfare. And it is a continuous process. 
It is an ongoing assessment where you have to examine yourself. And let me say this, one of the most difficult things for us to do is to judge ourselves. Is to be honest with our state, our spiritual state, where we stand. And God help us that we don't just have a form of godliness and we don't have the power anymore. Where everything is surface and we can easily lift our hands and we can easily make declarations and make statements. But the Lord is far from your heart this evening. Where He's not Lord anymore. You see, it's an ongoing process one example from the old testament if you think about what the old testament is filled with verses where the lord god gave specific instructions to the children of israel where he said i'm just paraphrasing he was saying as you possess the land as you take the land you are going to find altars that were built to foreign false deities there's going to be sacred pillars in the land, wooden and carved images in the land. You are going to find these false images and altars on hilltops, high places. They are going to be on threshing floors. You are going to find them under trees, wherever your children play, wherever you go, wherever you go to gather or to farm, whatever you do, you are going to find these, uh, these images and these to these false gods. And then God says, he gives a clear statement. When you find it destroy the altars break the sacred pillars cut down the wooden images burn the carved images and you know what he said destroy the name of their gods in that place you see that in that place that's why God was specific hilltops threshing floors in that place if the name of a false deity is being worshipped, destroy the name of the deity. What is all of this? That's how you maintain and that's how you take possession. That's how you maintain dominion this evening. Something has to be destroyed. We can't receive and receive and receive good and never destroy bad. In spirituality, the two cannot coexist. It doesn't matter how much good you receive, how much spiritual food you receive, but if you are not destroying evil and judging evil in your own realm of influence, uh, in your uh, close environment, uh, people, church, uh, your own life, listen, you are not gaining, you think we are gaining, but there's still that one element. That one element that needs to be judged in our lives. Many times we ask questions like, what's wrong with me? Why, why can't I get that breakthrough? Well, the simple question to ask is, why aren't you judging sin in your own lives tonight? Or why aren't you judging influences into your life tonight? God was saying, let it not remain. The New Testament New Living Translation says it like this. In 2 Corinthians 10, 5 to 6, it says, We demolish every idea, every argument, every doctrine, teaching, or concept that infects the mind and distorts or obstructs the truth about God. And we reclaim thoughts, feelings, 
and attitudes into the truth about God as revealed by Jesus Christ. Verse 6, we stand ready to bring discipline, to bear, to help break destructive habits so that maturity and health will be fully realized. So here we see the New Testament paints, well, it's not speaking about altars and images, but it speaks about mindsets, uh, influences, worldviews, uh, conversations we have, uh, little teachings. Uh, well, this is what I believe. I know what they believe, but this is what I believe. He says there are things that you have to judge thoughts uh, in conversations. Uh, there's doctrines that, that you are being bombarded with that you have to deal with. You have to bring it uh, to subjection to the truth of Jesus Christ uh, this evening. And what's the outflow of spiritual maturity or spiritual dominion? It's maturity and spiritual health. That's how you maintain a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ. That's how you maintain uh, a spiritual edge uh, in your life. So let's move on and let's think about rebuilding godly altars because that's what the faith action is that we see. So here we see Elijah is in this dilemma, but we see specific actions. He's making statements, and we want to look at that because there is a strategy in this. This is not the only formula, but this is what God gave him for the moment. So let's look at what faith actions we see. The one thing he did was to rebuild the altar unto Yahweh. So that's our first instruction from God. Whatever is being destroyed, whatever lays dilapidated, whatever needs renovation in the altar of God on your hearts tonight, it has to be rebuilt. A renovation has to take place. We call it revival tonight. Let God take uh, what is not needed uh, in uh, the, every recess, every secret chamber of your heart. Uh, there's certain things that God wants to revive because God knows if he doesn't have your heart, he cannot influence your actions tonight. So now there's the rebuilding of these altars. And I want to use a specific word. Elijah intentionally positioned himself. I want you to understand that. It goes with what our brother preached this morning. Evangelism is intentional. When we plant churches, when men and women go out and pioneer, this is intentional positioning. So think about this. This is the decision he made. He intentionally positioned himself to do something. And that was to prepare this specific altar and here is the most amazing thing for us tonight. Here is the encouragement, number one, in the midst of evil. Oh, I want you to think about that again. Amen. If dominion is lost, whoever and whatever has caused the loss of dominion, you, when you make a willful decision that I am going to serve the Lord, whatever things that needs to be confessed in my life, whatever sin, but I'm going to make right with God. Listen, you can rebuild in the midst of evil. That's what pioneering is. When we send pioneers, listen, we don't send them to comfort zones. We don't send them to the easy places. We send them intentionally right in the midst of evil because there's a God in heaven this evening that responds 
to intentional positioning. We don't run away from the worst places in town. We intentionally position ourselves there. Not because we don't know what's happening, the economy. We don't understand the social agenda uh, in our towns and stuff. No, we intentionally place ourselves there because there's a supernatural God that responds to godly altars tonight. Look, let's look at verse 19 of our text. It says, now therefore, this is intentional. He says, therefore, so he's not just positioning himself in Carmel. Now he's inviting all of his enemies to Carmel. Therefore, send and gather all of Israel to me on Mount Carmel. The 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Azra who eat at Jezebel's table. Let's go to verse 20. Now we see, so Ahab summoned all the people. This is all his enemies at this point. Remember, he feels outnumbered. He thinks he's alone. So every single person that's gathered there is a ministry problem. <laughs> all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. So think about this very importantly. If he did not position himself in this specific place, at this specific time, then he would never have experienced this victory. You see, there are certain times, certain moments, certain places that we need to be at a certain, at a certain time as a church, as an individual. Because of the unctioning of God, because of the voice of God. And the problem is many a times when our hearts are deferred from God, when our hearts, you know what, is far from God, desperate moments, desperate people, desperate times, calls for a man and a woman that would be filled with the Holy Ghost to be in a certain place. And you know what the problem is? We don't find ourselves there. And the victory that could have been won is lost when we lose dominion this evening so he intentionally placed himself in the midst of the problem now that's something that i had to learn as a pastor that's not natural to the flesh and i had to learn the hard way believe me made mistakes but what elijah did was he placed himself in the midst of the problem and this is our mandate tonight deal with it don't run away from it. If it's confession, if it's an honest confession, confess honestly and get it over with. You see, our mandate is to detonate a move of God in our nation. This is why I love Pentecostal doctrine. This is our heritage. This is our lineage. If there's any young pioneering pastor that's going to be sent out, don't ever forget we are Pentecostal. Let me say this. Uh, I grew up religiously. I grew up where I would read the Bible. I would ask whoever my reverend or whatever they call themselves minister were, but what about this and what about this? No, no, that was for them. That's how they, that's, they needed that. We don't need that. We, no, we can't baptize you when you get saved. We, no, nothing like that. Listen, do you know why I love Pentecostal doctrine? It is so simple. You know why? Because when I read it, I live it. I don't have to reinterpret it. I don't have to say, well, that's not for us. That was for them. They needed that. That season is gone. No, when I read it, 
I do it and I live it. Simple. That's how you explain Pentecostal doctrine to a new convert. You read it, you do it. Simple. We become all theological when we try and explain something very simple. Just obey God. And how do I obey God? He will make it so clear for you. He will tell you what to do. And then you do that. Thank God for Pentecostal. I'm going to get to Pentecostal inheritance. We have to protect this. Because you're going to see what the answer was. In point three. Okay, let's get there. You see, we are sent to detonate a move of God. When you are in your city, understand, you are there. You are the hope for your city. You are there to detonate a move. Uh, you have to position yourself again in the midst of places. Let me say this many a times, where souls are held captive by evil. So think about Elijah's situation. Who was there with him? We know the story. There was Ahab. This is the king. This is the state. Uh, whoever is in control of the nation, the king is there. The people is there. There's, there's these false uh, uh, prophets of Baal. Uh, they are cutting themselves. They are doing rituals. Uh, blood is spurting from their body. This is, you know, all the things that they are performing in front of the. That's what he's facing. And so let me say this. The worst setting sometimes for a man of God in the flesh is sometimes the perfect setting for God to show that he is the supernatural God that he is this evening so in your flesh I understand you know what we can come up with all sorts of excuses but that's the perfect setting for God this evening not for us many a times but it's what God can do not what we can do and you know what's so amazing about God God only needed one man to be totally surrendered to his will to show his supernatural power in that place this evening. Isn't that amazing? God's not intimidated by the things that intimidates us. He only needed one man. And listen, that's the one encouragement I want to give you. Don't, you are always going to feel outnumbered. In pioneering, in initially, the first six months, the first year, one of the most overwhelming feelings that most couples, uh, they don't say it, but you can read through the lines, WhatsApp statuses and stuff. They feel lonely. Listen, loneliness, you, and sometimes they're just six kilometers down the road, but they feel lonely. Listen, it's demonic. That's what the enemy wants you to understand. No, you're all alone. You know what? They, pray, they say they are praying for you, but it's not helping. It's a lie from hell. God only needs one man, one woman to be placed intentionally in a place for him to show his victory against evil this evening. The second thing that is needed in the midst of evil, oh, and I pray to God that you would have this tonight and gain this at this conference, is a man that has a revelation of who God is. You see, Elijah responded. All of his faith actions was based upon who God is. You see, who God is is what moves us. Who God is determines how we respond this evening. You see, he had a personal revelation. Some of you will call it a conviction. Paul calls it a persuasion, meaning I have a strong belief. And it's not just in my head. You know what? It is shut down, right down into my soul, into my heart. I know who God is. You know why? Because I've experienced. 
experienced that revelation from God. We are going to be listening to so many sermons that's going to go out. God's word is going to go out. It's going to go out. And I'm praying to God that the seed of God's word would fall upon hearts this evening so that when you leave this place, uh, while you're flying back home, driving back home, walking back home, taking a taxi back home, I don't know how you're going to go home, but that yes, you would be filled uh, with, to the brim uh, with revelation. You know what? Now you say, I, I've got it. I don't know how it's going to work out, but God spoke to me about a certain thing maybe it's in your finances maybe it's in your own interpersonal relationships things that God will help you listen we need maturing in so many aspects of life we don't plant perfect ministers that's why he had a revelation and God wants to reveal a certain truth to you during this conference take that home You'll be able to mulch on that for, for the rest of your life. That's how powerful a revelation is. There's things I remember now that happened when I didn't understand what happened to me. But it was God that imparted just his love. A truth that can be so complicated. He makes it so simple to you. And you know what? You experience that and it becomes part of your walk with God. It becomes part of, of the way you process life. And the way you look at people. And the way you look at ministry. Don't underestimate the power of a godly revelation tonight. You see, dominion is sustained by personal persuasion and revelation why because you're gonna to have to fight for it like i said dominion is not easy come easy go fall into my lap no you're gonna to have to fight for it and the one thing that's going to sustain you is a revelation when you are in the midst of evil when you are in a dry season it's that revelation that keeps you going you see god has to become real and personal to you i understand most of us you know you're a new convert you you understand and you know god as savior as redeemer we understand the power of the blood but there's so much more to the godhead father son holy spirit wanting to be in perfect relationship with you don't just know god as my savior and my redeemer but there's something about knowing god in his fullness and yes we are not perfect Yes, we are still learning about God, but God has nuggets for you tonight about who he is. And that will sustain you in the toughest times of your life, especially in ministry. You see, that's dominion, spiritual warfare, conflict. You and I need rhema from God. You need a Mount Carmel revelation tonight and that's the one thing that moved Elijah into action revelation is forged on altars personal altars you know we glean off other people's revelation I love that I listen I love listening to our elders men of God that's gone before us and as they preach you know what they do they make the revelation so simple for us they have these little sayings and you know what we say these things but listen those revelations that's just a saying to us in casual talk has been forged blood sweat and tears maybe seasons of barrenness where they had to pray through things where they didn't understand things in moments where they wanted to give up but it was forged and there's times when you have to forge things through 
What inspired Elijah and inspires us this evening is all of his actions was based on obedience. God tells him, go and declare there's going to be a drought. He does it. Go to the brook. Uh, I'm going to uh, provide for you there. He does that. Go to the widow. He, go, he does that. Go to Ahab. He does that. Listen, this is profound obedience sustains dominion as well. You see, it is a personal belief that you deeply hold. You strongly believe that it's your personal one. Listen, simple scriptures like, let not your heart be troubled. Oh, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in me. Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Let Let me say that to you this evening. That is a profound scripture. It's not the only profound scripture, you understand. But when I read that scripture, specifically that part of the Bible, specifically when there's tough times, when all of hell lies and and hell wants to demonically influence you, I know which scripture to go to. You know what? John 14, 27, my peace I give unto you, not as this world, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And something happens. I'm not want to be... Listen, I'm not trying to be super spiritual here, but there's something that just elevates you from that barren moment in your life because that's the power of a rhema this evening. You see, belief systems, you need to have a go-to in life, a spiritual go-to. You need to have reference points. That's why God gives you revelation in times of testing. What was his despair at this moment? And many pastors grabble with this. I grabbled with this. So I'm, I'm going to say it because, then you, because it was me as well. All right? I also used to ask this profound question. <laughs> How do I get people <laughs> to come to? You understand? How do I get them to answer so you add what your problem is? To come to outreach. To come to the Sunday night service. To come to when? How do I get people? What is the strategy? Is this the flyers? Is it me? Do I have to change the way I dress? Do I, you don't understand what I'm saying? How do we get people to do certain things? That's a common question that I get asked. I ask that question as well. Look, look, at, look at Elijah. He says in verse 37, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back uh, to you again. Thank God the scripture set me free. Because you know what the scripture tells me? All I have to do is point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is Him that changes hearts this evening. It is not with us. Let me say this. We've had sleepless nights over this question. How do I? Is there a method? Is no Point them to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. In the midst of your evil moment, in the midst of your struggle, people need their own personal relationship with God. They need their own personal revelation of who God is because that's what's going to change their heart. The God of heaven will change hearts this evening. So at least you know I also asked that question. A lot of you are set free this year. I want to close this evening. Because God is a consuming fire. God is a consuming fire. Pioneer preacher. 
go and detonate a movement for God wherever you are going to go. Because our God is a consuming fire tonight. There was one aspect because of my religious background. Let me say this. And, and the early years of our fellowship here in South Africa. Let me say at the same time I know there was this Brownsville madness that was happening. There was the, 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 the I don't know why South Africans do this. So Rodney Howard Brown, the, the Holy Ghost bartender. Okay, if you guys don't know about that. That was happening at that time. All right. It was this weirdness happening. Not in our fellowship, but somewhere else. There was this pseudo-false revival, outpouring of God's Spirit. And you know what was amazing? Our fellowship judged that. Thank God. They judged that. But the problem is some of the mindset creeped in you know, amongst us. There was a fear now. So what is Holy Ghost? And what is not Holy Ghost? You understand? And so now this pastor that's here, so I, I, I kind of say, oh, so I'm not going to preach on the Holy Ghost because maybe... I'm going to be criticized as being a Brownsville, Rodney Hound, Brown, whatever, Holy Ghost bartender they called him. There was a fear in me. And for a while, let me say this, I'm being honest with you. I didn't touch, I, I touched on the theology of the Holy Ghost, which is easy. Let me teach you about the Holy Ghost. One, two, three. But the Holy Ghost made real. That's what I'm talking about. God made real to people through your ministry, through your experience. And you know what? God took me to one moment in my life. I was 11 years old. I'm sorry if my church people are here. They hear this all the time. But you know what? That's my reference point. That's the first time in my ignorance that God met with me through the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Reinhard Bonnke. You can read this in the book, um, A Life Lived by Fire. Goes to Valhalla Park in Cape Town. The worst place. The worst place. If you're from Cape Town, you know that. You don't even go to Valhalla Park. <laughs> so Reinhard Bonnke puts a tent there. The tent is destroyed. And the Sangomas laugh at it. And they say, we prayed for this crusade to be destroyed and damaged. And uh, that you wouldn't do it. But you know what? He still went on. I, the third night, it was a Wednesday night. I'm 11 years old. My dad's with me. Uh, there's an altar call. He's asking me, listen, do you want to go up? I say, yes, dad. You know, I don't want to go to hell. That was, my, that was my conviction. I don't want to go to hell. But listen. Praise the Lord. God had so much more for me than just, I don't want to go to hell. I say a sinner's prayer. And at the same time, you know what he does? He prays for the infilling of the Holy Ghost. I didn't even know it was that. All I know, I don't even, I think I might have spoken in tongues, but that's not the point. You know what the point is? In that moment, the Holy Ghost fell down and I was saturated by the love of God. You know what? I was crying. I was, and I'm in my mind, you only cry when you are sad, but I'm crying and there's this joy, this joy that, listen, it wasn't there three minutes ago. There was this joy and nobody had to tell me that is God and that's how much he loves you this evening. And for some odd reason, God took me back to that moment. And when I read that Ronald Bonke book, it's like, wow, wow, God, thank you that you took me back to a, a moment in my life 
when you were made real at that time and nobody at that time and even now can out argue whether you come with a theolo- theological debate it doesn't matter how you want listen I'm not arguing theology and doctrine I know my Lord is real you know why because I experienced it I experience his love that's what you need tonight to know that God is a consuming fire you want to leave this place changed let me give you the answer God is a consuming fire tonight Verse 24, the God who answers by fire, he's God. A move of God is detonated by fire. That's why God told the early church, don't even go, don't move, don't do anything without the Holy Ghost coming. Holy Ghost fire. Think about the significance of fire symbolically. I'm not, there's so much about fire. I, I, I want to point to what authentic fire is because this is going to be your struggle as a as a pioneer pastor you you, you're going to be you're going to be freaked out sometimes what is holy ghost fire let me explain to you we're going to look at this jeremiah the prophet jeremiah the prophet speaks about a type of fire this is god working in his life and in jeremiah 20 verse 9 then i said i will not uh, make mention of him nor speak anymore in his name but his word was in my heart uh, like a burning fire he's likening god's revelation that was in his heart uh, like a burning fire shut up in my bones Uh, i was weary of holding it back and i could not uh, you know what is amazing about god giving you revelation it can be rekindled because when God puts something in your soul when he puts something in your heart it will burn like a fire in that moment of despair Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet he goes through discouragement he goes through rejection etc etc and at that moment when he wants to give up he wants to give up God just reminds him deep down in his heart he says son remember the fire that's authentic fire it just has to be rekindled we allow the fire of God to be diminished and diminished and diminished but it's there so if you've lost that, if you've lost uh, that belief and the, the, the power and understanding, listen, that God spoke to me. At a, God called me. Some of us are struggling, you know what, with our calling maybe at this point in time. And you remember so vividly that evening or that service when God convicted you, convinced you, I have called you to preach the gospel. Now you are struggling with your own calling. Listen, there is fire shut up in your bones. That wasn't just an emotional moment. That was God sealing his word deep down in your heart. You know why? Because he knows there's going to be a moment when you're going to need to be rekindled, revived this evening. That's authentic fire. It doesn't leave you. It's not emotional stuff. It's a permanent reference point of who God is. Secondly, fire consumes Oh, this is the <laughs> this is the amazing one. That's authentic fire. You know what fire does? It burns everything up. This helps me. You know why it helps me? Because I understand in a spiritual context uh, when we contend uh, for fire at the altars, because that's 
What I want to get to, fire at the altar is God, come down, consume every desire to sin. Fake fire. People get this. All right, let's, okay. They get this, whatever experience. The next day, back to their sinful lives. Authentic fire burns, consumes your desire to sin. Pastor Green spoke about running towards things. Listen, you used to run to sin, but when the fire consumes you, you don't run that direction anymore. Because that's what authentic fire does. Your craving, the lust that you are dealing with and struggling with early on in your, in your walk with God, the lust of the flesh. You know what? That's what authentic fire does. It will destroy your desire to sin. Yes, we have the potential to sin. But there's a difference when your desire to sin is gone. You walk away instead of running towards it. You see, it sustains holiness. It sustains holiness. It brings you to the point of conviction where instead of making an excuse for sin, we confess sin. If you study and read about uh, history and revivals, uh, there was a time uh, when uh, uh, in the Welsh revival, you know what? Court magistrates, what a job at that time. Our brother spoke about working without get, or getting paid without working. In those days, courts, courtrooms were empty because no one uh, was involved with criminal things anymore. That's what South Africa needs. Donkeys didn't work anymore. You know why? Because their masters used to swear at them. And then they would work and do things. Now here's the master. He's saved. He's born again. He looks at donkey. He speaks decently to donkey. Donkey looks at him, does nothing. <laughs> Authentic fire brings about a, a renewed heart, a new creation in Jesus Christ. It supplements salvation. It's not opposite. It helps you in your walk with God. The sanctification process. You see, fire is associated with God's presence, God's power, His holiness. It will radically change your life. You cannot touch fire and not be affected by it. Ask my sister. I was an older brother, younger sister. Touch the heater. It won't hear you. Look at Younger sister touches the heater. She carries the mark up until this day. I'm very proud of that. <laughs> you cannot touch fire <laughs> and not be affected by it this evening. Thirdly, fire refines. I love this one. Listen, we need fire at the altar. There's things inside of us that God wants to remove. That we want to hold on to, but God wants to remove that because He wants to refine you. He wants to refine your ministry tonight. He wants to help you and bring you to a place of fruitfulness tonight. And that's what God wants to do. Listen, long-term fruitful ministry is only sustained by holiness. That's what pure gold is is about, it speaks about holiness, your desire to be a, live holy before God. This is personal, this is secret. Listen, holiness is not something you outwardly proclaim, but it's in that secret chamber where nobody sees, uh, when you need the fire of God uh, in your walk with God tonight for holiness. 
You see, Elijah obtained victory because the fire fell on the altar. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed and burnt the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, so here is the miracle. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he's God, he's God. What did they say a moment before that? A couple of moments before that? The early in the morning, they couldn't speak a word about the Lord. Now, you know what they're saying? The Lord, He's God. That's what our nation needs. They need preachers that takes the fire of God intentionally to the midst of evil. They declare the Lord is God. That's the distinction. I want to pray and ask, and I want to ask you tonight, if you're a minister or you are going to be sent out, contend for Holy Ghost anointed ministry. Contend for that. That is going to that is the That's the miracle we need. At the altar call. The altar call is not... The problem with the altar call is it can become just a religious thing that we just do because we're supposed to be doing that. But listen, we need miracles at the altar call. That's where we need the fire of God to fall. That's where people's hearts are going to change. Listen, if you're a pastor, contend for fire at the altar calls. God, let your fire touch people. Let it consume. Let it refine. Lord, help us. God is still looking. I want to take you to the, the New Testament version of what I'm speaking about. Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. God is still looking for that man, that woman. You know what? That would lay down their lives so that he can set it ablaze. For his purposes tonight. God still answers by fire. We have to do what Paul did as I'm closing. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 4. He says, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. But in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That's what Paul was contending for. God let my ministry not just be. Limited to a three-point sermon. Now, I don't have a problem if you preach three-point sermons. God bless you. That's where I started. <laughs> safe. That, 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 that was my safe zone. Three-point sermon. But God, help me to get to know you as the Holy Spirit. So that I can minister a three-point sermon. But when my words are spoken that there would be a power that is real that affects people's lives that's what we need tonight fire at the altar don't leave this conference tonight be intentional we need desperately need anointed holy ghost ministry because our purpose in in in, in god is to detonate a move of god by fire tonight. Let's bow our heads tonight. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. 
Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the VBPH Sermon Podcast. When you listen to these inspiring messages, you are helping to send missionaries from the Chandler Bible Conference in September. If you loved what you heard, please send this message to someone that needs to hear it. Then leave us a review using the links in the show notes so that everyone who wants to find this podcast will see it when they search for it. We cannot thank you enough. See you next time.